0: to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter number 1. Although we did not publish a bulletin this week, I did write a pastor's pen. I'm not going to read it, but uh, at the very beginning, uh, I made a comment that uh, I do want to repeat. I said, If we aren't careful, this could be one of the gloomiest Independence Day celebrations ever. Don't turn it into a funeral service. The title of my message this morning, I think, will explain why I said that. Tim asked just shortly before the service what I was going to preach so they could put it on the CD back there and... uh, What was the title of the message? And I said, it's, We Ain't Dead Yet. (laughs) We ain't dead yet, so we're not having a funeral service. Never stop rejoicing over what God has done. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and when we stop rejoicing over the good things God has done, we will not have the strength to face those things that are coming against us. That is so very important. We must keep rejoicing in what God has done, regardless of how bleak the picture might look. I've often reminded you that our mission is to win souls, not to save America. But this morning, I want to make sure that you understand what I mean by that. I don't say that out of uh, a lack of concern. And I don't say that out of a spirit of despair. I say that because it's true. That's the commission that God has given us. It's not only a fact, but it is actually the only way that America can, can be saved in the long run. The change that America needs can only happen as people change within their heart. We'll never change America just by voting for a particular party. Until there is a spiritual awakening, there's going to remain the threat of judgment upon us. The Bible says that we Christians are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And that tells me that America cannot survive without Christians. They don't realize it, but America is dependent upon Christians. Whenever I think about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham saying to God, if I could find 50 righteous souls there, Now, keep in mind, that would not change the general population at all. They would still be given to their perverted lifestyle. But he said, if I can just find 50 righteous souls, would you spare the city? And God said, yes. Well, you know the story. Abraham got to thinking and he kept reducing the number and finally he got down to where he said, Lord, if I could just find ten righteous souls, would you spare the city? And God said, I would. But they couldn't find ten righteous souls. I don't know what the number would be that it would take to save America, but I believe with all of my heart that's the only solution for America's problem, is that we win the loss to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I also want you to understand when I say we ain't dead yet, that I'm not giving a pep talk to just cheer you up. And I'm not pretending that everything is okay because it isn't. And I'm not predicting that everything is going to end well because... It might not. America is in serious trouble. It could get a lot worse and a lot sooner than we could even imagine. So what I'm, uh, what I'm doing is trying to get you to see that there is a ray of hope. As dark as, as things seem to be, there is a ray of hope. And I say that because America has been in trouble before. We've gone through some really tough times. I think about 9-11 and the shock that it was to our nation. I think about Vietnam. I think about the Bay of Pigs, World War II, the stock market crash in 29. I think about World War I and the Civil War, the Dred Scott decision, colonial times, the Revolutionary War, and all throughout our history we see that we have a record of overcoming adversity again and again and again. So when we look back and we think about what God has done for us in years gone by, It ought to give us the courage to face the future. And the problem is too many people give up too easy. And we need to regain that fighting spirit of our forefathers instead of throwing in the towel as though we are in a hopeless situation. The same God that raised us up from among all of the other nations, that same God can sustain us in our time of need. But, fight as we might, we have to understand where our safety lies. What keeps us secure? When Hawaii became the 50th state in 1959, they brought with it their motto. It says, the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. Wow, what a... What an awesome statement that is. The life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. And that might, to some folks, sound like a pious platitude, but actually, it is a profound truth, a truth that needs to be rediscovered and proclaimed. It is a scriptural truth because the Bible says in Proverbs fourteen thirty four, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In other words, righteousness is a nation's strength and sin is a nation's shame. Our destiny, whether for good or for bad is determined by either virtue or vice. And a lot of folks have seemingly forgotten that our need to depend upon God. We need leaders like Benjamin Franklin, and I realize every year probably, I end up sometime during the course of the year reminding you of this great quote. When he said, I have lived, served... A long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Make no mistake about it, our future is in God's hands. But what we need to realize is, just as there is a sin unto death for the individual, the Bible says there is, and that ought to be a scary thought to a lot of people. Just as there is a sin unto death for the individual, a nation can lose its privilege to exist. And if you don't believe that, just read history, because as you read through history, you see that it is a record of the rise and the fall of nations. Great nations, you know, that one time it seemed to be that that no one could ever bring them down. But God did. Well, here in the book of Jeremiah, we see how a nation declines until finally that nation is destroyed. And I I started out by saying, we ain't dead yet, there is hope. And, And that was the situation that Jeremiah was in, at least in the beginning of his ministry. There was still a ray of hope in those dark days of despair when he lived. And yet that door of opportunity finally was shut. Jeremiah served for 40 years during the reign of five different kings before the destruction of Judah. And it's a long story, but I want to give you just a brief survey here this morning. In chapter number 1, we see the call and the commission of Jeremiah to the nation. This might not seem to be important to you, but I think it's of great importance. Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. And then said I, "Ah, oh, Lord God, Now notice here, He is just a young man. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee. To deliver thee, saith the Lord, and then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. See, I have have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, and to build, and to plant. The thing that is so important about this is the fact that God has never, ever from the beginning of creation, lacked for a house of witness or a spokesman. The first house of witness, of course, was the institution of the family. And then God raised up the nation of Israel with its temple, its witness before all of the other nations, and then He established the church. But in addition to the house of witness, there's always been A spokesman, according to Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, every generation has had a spokesman for God. In other words, there has always been someone speaking the Word of God, instructing us and warning us of judgment to come if we refuse to listen. Sometimes we think to ourselves about how bad the world is and how how terrible it's become even here in America. We get to thinking, Lord, what in the world are we going to do? Well, that's not the question. The question is, what is God going to do? Here Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm just a child. I can't do anything. You know, we never know as we... As we sit here this morning during the course of this service and we look around and we think about these little children, we never know. Whenever we think about the days ahead and who's going to stand in the gap and who's going to fight the fight and who is God going to use to build a better generation, we never know where that next Spurgeon is or D.L. Moody. We never know where the next Sergeant York or... Uh, General MacArthur. We never know what God might do with some of these children. But mark it down, God is not going to be without a witness. He's not going to be without a spokesman. There's always going to be that witness until the Lord comes. And so here we see God's chosen people, Israel, that had been blessed so abundantly... And yet now they have turned their back on God. And so God sends a messenger. And I want you to notice His counsel then to the nation. Turn to chapter 22. I want to try to give you in a few minutes what it would take literally hours or days to to study out thoroughly. But I want you to notice Jeremiah's counsel to the nation And I'm going to just reduce it down to two lines of thought here. First of all, there is what he revealed, that he revealed what God expected. Chapter 22, beginning in verse number 1. Thus saith the Lord Go down to the house of the king of Judah, and speak there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, that sittest upon the throne of David thou and thy servants and thy people that enter in by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness, and deliver the spoil out of the hand of the oppressor, and do no wrong, and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. For if ye do this thing indeed, then shall there enter in... By the gates of this house, kings sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots on horses, he and his servants and his people. But if ye will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Look at verse number 7. I will prepare destroyers against thee. Verse number 8. And many nations shall pass by this city, and they shall say every man to his neighbor, Wherefore hath the Lord done thus unto this great city? And then they shall answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God, and worshipped other gods, and served them. Now all of this is directed toward Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah before they were literally totally destroyed. And here we see that Jeremiah is delivering what God expected. That was his responsibility. let me tell you, it's not hate speech. He is simply saying, this is what God wants you to know. This is what God expects from you. And God has every right to place expectations upon us. Secondly, not only do we see here that he revealed what God expected, but he also reported what they could expect. We see just a hint of it here, but if you turn over just a few pages to chapter 27, here it's a bit more detailed, chapter number 27 and verse number 5. He says, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power, by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed to meet unto me. And now have I given all of these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beast of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. Verse 9, Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, who were trying to convince them that everything was going to be all right, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon. I don't know how this strikes you, but it's really amazing, and it must have been so shocking for those Jews to hear these words that Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. Nebuchadnezzar is a wicked idol worshiper. He cares nothing whatsoever about God. He is a head of a nation that is at the very doorstep about to destroy God's people. There's absolutely nothing to like about Nebuchadnezzar and yet God says he is my servant. William Penn was right whenever he said that if men will not be governed by God, they shall be governed by tyrants. And that's exactly what we see in these verses because he is declaring here that Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer you and control you. Judgment is coming. The freedom that you enjoy is going to be gone. The goods that... that that you are supported by the things that I have given you, all of the blessings bestowed upon you, all of those are going to be taken from you. This is His counsel to the nation. They didn't enjoy it back then any more than people enjoy listening to such a message today, a message of warning from God that we either repent or we perish. People despise us because of that but it's still the truth. I want you to see then the condemnation of the nation. Not just any nation, we're still talking about the nation of Israel. In chapter number 22 again, in verse number 13, he says, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and the chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work. That saith, I will build me a wide house and large chambers, and cutteth him out windows, and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Now keep in mind, he's speaking here to, the, to this wicked king. And I want you to notice how selfish this king was. And it's a reflection of the nation as a whole. Someone back in history wrote of Zedekiah, it said incredibly, in a day when the city was surrounded by a foreign army... Its treasury was bankrupt. Its temple was being looted. The king utilized his power to cause his subjects to build an ornate palace for himself. Wow, that's absolutely crazy. They're about to lose absolutely everything. And Zedekiah is totally consumed with self-interest. Sort of reminds you of people in America today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you read, have read the dissenting opinion by the Supreme Court, uh, 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 Anthony Scalia? How, how many? Hold up, I want to see. Because if you haven't read that, you, you, you need to go home and get on Google and find it and read it. It's scary. We have all, let me see if I can find just a a, a brief quote of of what he said, and I'm not sure I, I can find and put my finger on it, but I can't. But he basically said, now keep in mind, this is a brilliant man serving on the Supreme Court and talking about the fact that whenever nine lawyers unelected on the Supreme Court can dictate what a nation does that you can no longer call this a democracy that we live in. We've been singing this morning about liberty and freedom and the blessings of God, and we are losing all of that. When the voice of the people is overruled by nine unelected lawyers, and let me tell you right here and now, the Supreme Court is not supreme. There's a court that is higher than they are, and that is God Himself. And the Bible says that, as Benjamin said, that Benjamin Franklin, he rules in the affairs of men, and he certainly does. And whenever we look at this, the first thing that jumps out at us is the selfishness of the king, which is a reflection of what's going on with the people. He's not just condemning the king. He's condemning the people because what the king is doing at a great time of need and entertaining himself is exactly what the children of Israel are doing in regards to God. I thought about it quite a while before I posted it, and I'm usually not on Facebook just before we come in here, but I'd read an article earlier in the week, and it was so interesting. I didn't post it at that time, but I knew what I was going to be saying this morning. And so if you're on Facebook when you get home, I want you to read the article there by Nathan Bingman about selfies. Now, it's not a sin to take a selfie, but I'm telling you what, there, whenever you stop, think we are obsessed with ourselves nowadays. We are. This is the most narcissistic generation that has ever lived on the face of the earth. We don't want to sacrifice anymore. We wonder what's going on with our nation. It's easy to understand. We don't want to work anymore. We want to depend upon the government. We don't want to sacrifice anymore. We want everything to be given to us on a silver platter. That's our attitude, our selfish attitude. And Then we see his sinfulness here in verse chapter 34. I, I want you to know I'm, I've got to sum this up in just a few words, and it's real easy to do in chapter 34. And, and notice what he says here in verse 16. But ye have turned and polluted my name. You have turned and polluted my name. That was as serious as any charge could be, because from birth the Jews were taught to revere and to respect the name of God, never to use it irreverently in any way whatsoever. And boy, I mean, they had some weird ideas about the the name of God. And I'm not standing here trying to judge them or anything if it was done out of a sincere heart, but... What I'm saying is they went to the extreme to make sure that they did not in any way profane the name of God. So when God says, you have profaned my name, that was as bad as any charge could be against the people. And Jeremiah knew exactly what they were going to think whenever he made that statement. And it was true. God was so offended that He says to this chosen nation, You have profaned My name. Well, when we think about what we have done in America, it is a miracle that we still exist. You think about the slaughter of all of the little innocent unborn. How does a nation get by with that? I mean, we're not going to get by with it, but how is it that we have not already ceased to exist? It's absolutely amazing, and I don't think it's stretching the truth to say we're living on borrowed time. The same God who destroyed the earth with the flood because, it says, the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. And the same God that destroyed Sodom with fire because not even ten righteous souls could be found destroyed Judah because of her unrighteousness. You profaned my name. Let me tell you, if it happened on a worldwide scale with the flood and in Sodom, uh, Sodom by fire and with God's chosen people, Don't think it couldn't happen in America. Jeremiah is warning them. And again, I say, this wasn't hate speech. It's not hate speech today when we raise our voice in protest. I mean, if we don't protest the stripping of our democratic rights in America, when will we raise our voice in protest? If we refuse to repent, we refuse to obey God. No amount of religious activity and political manipulation, no amount of military maneuvering is going to save us. As Franklin said, God governs in the affairs of men. And don't forget, the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. Nebuchadnezzar learned that the hard way. It is so amazing to think about how God took a heathen king and raised him up and used him to discipline a rebellious people. And then finally, at long last, Nebuchadnezzar even became convinced that God is the one true and the living God. Had Israel never forgotten that, they would have been spared the wrath that came upon them. Alexis de Tocqueville many years ago came to America and he said, Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And I want to add something to that statement. Not only will she cease to be great, she will cease to be safe. The life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. And where righteous is not found, judgment is sure to come. It's good reason why we're concerned about america today it is unrighteousness is a threat to our very existence now we could spend the rest of the day talking about america and for good reason it needs to be at the forefront of our thoughts but we need to make this personal We can talk about what's going on in Washington, but we need to think about what's going on in our own lives, in our own little part of the world. You say, well, there's not any use in trying. We can't change the world. No, that you can change your little part of the world, and that's all God ever expected out of any of us, to change our little part of the world. So we need to put this on a personal level and And Indeed, be concerned for our nation, but that concern also should extend to our manner of living. You see, we can't live one way and expect our nation to go another. We need to be what we hope our nation becomes. And if we don't model it, who will? Isn't nobody in Hollywood going to do that? The politicians are never going to do that. The ball is in our end of the court. And I mean, look, we either score or we lose one of the two. We need to remember that we, listen, we have no righteousness of our own. None whatsoever. The very best among us. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says, And yet we need righteousness that we do not have, and it's found in only one place, and that is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, Christ is our righteousness. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you need to understand the only way that you can ever live righteous is to become righteous By trusting Christ as your Savior, because it's only in Him that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be accepted, and that we can be spared from the judgment to come. If you're not saved, you can't say, nobody ever told me, nobody ever warned me. Solomon said, he being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall be destroyed... And that without remedy. In other words, we go on ignoring God's warnings. And it can happen to an individual or it can happen to a nation. And we harden our neck. We build up our resistance against God and we go on pursuing our own self-interest. Profaning the name of God. And he says, they'll be destroyed without any remedy. The door is open. We ain't dead yet. There's still hope for America. But that hope lies in what you and I as Christian people do. And we dare not ignore the warning. If you're here and you're unsafe, you, look, you, you can't presume that God's going to give you another day, another opportunity. You need to settle that today. Over in... Uh, Orange, Texas, you probably read the story. A 28-year-old man, he decided, I guess they were out partying or whatever, and he decided he was going to go swimming. It was already late at night, but he wanted to go swimming and had warning signs posted all around, warning, do not swim, Alligators. He started to disrobe and go swimming. And one of the employees there said, I quote, Please, please do not go swimming. There is a bigger alligator out there. Please stay out of the water. And the man said, blank the alligator. He jumped in the water. The employer then said, The next thing I knew, this girl was screaming and alligators got him, and alligators got him. And it did, and it killed that man. He ignored the warning signs. He ignored the plea of the employee there. And just without any regard for safety whatsoever, decided he was going to do what he wanted to do, and it cost him his life. I'm telling you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's going to cost you more than your life. It's going to cost you your eternal soul. Because when we die, we don't just all of a sudden cease to exist. We don't, we don't go into some state of limbo out there between heaven and earth and hope somebody can pray us out. There is no such place as that. We either go to heaven or we go to hell, one of the two. And it's instantaneous the very moment we die. And there are no second chances beyond the grave, folks. The door of opportunity is open now. As a nation, we're not dead yet. There's still hope if God's people do what they ought to do. And if you're here and you're not saved The door is still open. You could be saved even today by simply placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not just giving you a warning. I'm begging you, do that before it's too late. You never know when the door might shut. The party of life will be over. And you'll have to stand before your Maker for your final sentence of condemnation. Don't let that happen. Let's stand. Father, help us to heed the many warnings that you've given us and as we think about our nation, the nation that we love, the nation that we rejoice in as we think about not only what you've done in years gone by, but we think about the fact that you even to this very moment, allow us to continue to exist. And we are thrilled about that. We rejoice in that. Thank you so much. But Heavenly Father, help us to not presume upon your mercy. Help us to not be blind to the problems that are all around us. And God, help us to do everything in our power to make a difference in this world that we live in. To make a difference in somebody's life by bringing them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's some man or woman, a boy or girl here this morning that's never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that the Holy Spirit might just draw them and urge them this morning And Lord, that they would give in and put their trust in Your dear Son. For we pray in His name. Amen.